Welcome, everybody, to the Couple Nurses Podcast with your host, Matt Sartrick, and myself, Peter Fendura. This is a podcast where I tackle current health news and a hot nursing topics, one conversation at a time. Thank you guys for tuning in on this beautiful Friday. Hope you guys are having a great Friday. Hope you're off from work. Hope you could chill out for the weekend. But first of all, I want to say thank you for following us. Thank you for commenting, subscribing. But make sure to give us the five stars on our podcast. Make sure to drop a comment as well. Don't forget to check out us on YouTube. we got those vlogs coming out weekly. A lot of cool stuff on our grams. So thank you guys. And then one more time, Patreon is coming soon. What's up, Matt? What are we talking about today? Hey, PD. How are you? Before I start the show, I want to ask two questions to keep in mind. How do you define death and how comfortable do you feel with death? And in today's episode, we're going to talk about patient death, how to cope with a death of a loved one, maybe a death of a patient and postmortem care, which is not talked about a lot, but we do deal with it a lot in the ICU. In the ICU, you might get a little bit like desensitized to death for the most part. Some people might not remember their, like their first patient dying. Um, I vaguely remember my first patient dying. But, you know, I remember majority of those situations. I'm not saying it happens every day. I'm not saying it happens every week. But in ICU, unfortunately, you deal with a lot of a lot of sick people. And the ultimate result is eventually death. Yeah, you're right. And I started off in med search. So I remember my, like, first death pretty vivid. Like, dealing with it, my first patient. It was, like, change of shift. And it was Christmas Eve. So it was just very tragic to deal with that and then sit down with my family and tell them about it mm. it was interesting it's like never have i ever imagined being the last person on like somebody's chest to like beating them down you know or like that time you just come into like the room you're getting report and the charge nurse is screaming your name at like almost change of shift something's going on patients going down the gutter or like three hours down everything was good and just like it's inter- it's wild and it's wild a- and it's like yes it's desensitizing and it's like you have to learn how to carpet compartmentalize sometimes with everything that's happening because it's it's a lot yeah and not every death in a hospital or in the icu is gonna be due to like a cold you know there are people that that pass away as dnrs and we just let them pass away peacefully you know not necessarily in a hospice yet because they're still in the icu but you know if they happen to pass on your shift then you know that's what ends up happening it's not always a like matt said it's not always going to be like a cold situation where you're on someone's chest and then every death is is occurring after a cold where you you do compression do acls protocol for 20 30 minutes and then you and then you call it right and a patient dies it's not always like that there's people that pass away with family around them except during the, these c19 times might be a little more complicated but back in the normal days you could call it is patients would pass normally in icu with their family around them you know with the whole grieving, you can see the whole grieving process of how certain family members take it differently how certain family members grieve compared to others and you get like that full-blown experience not always on someone's chest but with someone actually on like a morphine drip or a lot of drip you know going every hour to make it comfortable and then you actually see see them pass and you 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 have the alarms off at that point and you literally see their heart rate go from like 60s 40s 30s 20s then you see a few few agonal you know beats and that, that's pretty much it and, and they, they they pass calmly and peacefully without all this and in, intense cardiac arrest you know acls protocol going on there's people that are actually in a hospital peace peacefully and that's when you print out your ekg strip of asystole you call the resident the physician whoever to 
declare the patient, you know, they passed away. Mm. But I think what you described is the death of the patient is the family dynamic that's never really talked about. And nursing school never prepares you for this because no book can tell you how to deal with a death of a patient. But on top of that, to deal with the family, which is a whole different dynamic. It's never talked about. And it's, it takes a lot of emotions and it kind of weighs you down sometimes differently. And that's the biggest change also with like C-19 is we don't deal with that as much. It's different. It's over the phone. Because before you had to be very intuitive to figure out how a family is going to react based on culture and stuff like that. There's three, there's always three perspectives in a room with like a dying patient. You're going to have, or I don't know if you call perspectives or entities, but there's one, the patient, there's you, the nurse, and the medical professionals, and then there's three is the family. You know, and it's interesting, we're all, we're all going through through this process of of the patient dying, but we all come at it from different perspectives, right? The one patient is dying. You don't know what he's going through exactly because, you know, he's probably on a morphine drip. He, he can't talk. He can't move. He can't make his needs known. Just make it comfortable, right? As a nurse, you have your own perspective in that sense being that I, if this is in your first death, then it's going to be a little bit less emotional, you could say, but some some nurses always have the same emotions with dying patients. But let's just say this is your first death. You have your own experience, right? So the things that you, that you go through as a nurse, and if you experience a patient dying a few times, a lot of things that go through your head are, one is going to be, when is this patient gonna 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 die, basically? Like you kind of estimate it, right? Like you guys say, I think this patient's pretty, holding on pretty strongly, it might be a few days. Or, hey, this patient isn't, you know, isn't doing like the best and you're kind of guessing that he's probably going to pass on your shift. So when you think a patient is going to pass on your shift, your next thought process is going to be, how do I tell the family that, hey, they're, that you think that the patient is, is dead, you know, because the monitors are there and the patient and family are, is going to see all the monitors read zero at some point, right? So they're going to know, hey, something's up, right? But then you have to be the one that physically goes in there and be like, hey, um, I'm going to call the chaplain or I'm going to get the intensivist or yeah. the house physician because your loved one has no pulse, it's not breathing, it seems like he has passed away, right? It's always it's always nerve-wracking saying that that statement. Even though the family is kind of aware for the most part because everything's reading zero, them getting that news brings up a whole whole dynamic and a whole different slew of emotions, right? So that's kind of what's going on in your, in, like in your head and you got to deal with the family. And then after that, after you finally you know tell them what's going on, then you have to kind of assist them right so you kind of want to get them the box of tissues you want to answer any, any of the questions you kind of want to it's gonna be hard to make them feel happy but you're gonna try to make them feel comfortable right so they're gonna answer you a bunch of different questions you know they might ask you if you're religious or what is your religious background you know you can feel free to to share whatever you want they're gonna ask you a bunch of questions it just, just always is um like what are the next next things to do do i gotta call you know our, our church things like that where you know you'll learn to answer them as, as you go and then you know you gotta do a bunch of paperwork and all that, but that's kind of in a, in a back burner. And like I said, there's two perspectives. So the patient, we explained that, doesn't even know what's going on because, you know, we don't know what's going on because they're dying. Two is yourself and a three is a family. So the family is going to have the most intense feelings ever because they've known this patient for the longest and that this person is going to be out of their life forever. Yeah. And that's probably the one, they have the most difficult, I guess, emotions to kind of figure out and a most difficult task out of, out of everybody for the most part. I actually... Another thing about a nurse, nurse has has it pretty hard, in like a job perspective, a career role, but in like a a normal social perspective, definitely family has has a definitely a hot, a lot higher and tougher dynamic to deal with. Of course, and like 
even though the patient is on comfort care, let's just say it's taken them like three days to pass away, they're on the morphine drip and the family's checking up or, you know, pre-C19, they're in the rooms, you know, every day coming in, leaving, and we were calling them, giving them updates. E even though that patient passed away, you let them know, it still hits them differently and they still react, even though they had these two, three days to prepare, you know? Mm -hmm. and, and yeah, it's, it's tough. It's, it's hard to like, you know, deal with it. And if I had to do give like someone like one piece of advice, I think the best thing to do sometimes is to be silent because I, I, I love to talk, right? I could always just go in there and like say something and like I tend to talk and sometimes at, at a bad situation, it's better just to practice silence because no matter what you tell that patient, they, you know, like grieving is like alone, uh, being, an, how would I say it? Like a journey on its own. You're alone on that journey of grieving. No one can help you but yourself. So sometimes just practicing silence in sad situations is best to do. Yeah, it's it's pretty hard, you know, especially if you if you're talking to the family like, like a lot, if they're in that room every day and you saw them every day, then you do want to do want to say some something. But it's not always you know the best time to say to say something. You know, sometimes you got to keep your mouth mouth shut. I'm not saying you're gonna say anything bad, but sometimes the family doesn't want your your opinion. They're not gonna tell you they don't want your opinion. They're not gonna you know, sh show it or anything like that. But all they want is somebody just to be quiet and just to kind of listen. Like, l let them talk. You know, you shouldn't be talking more than them. It should be be them because, you know, they're not, at that point in time, might be asking you questions and th things like that. So, like, answer them, like, short, sweet, and to the point because, like Matt said, they're, they're there to, to grieve over their loved one. Yeah. And last thing you want, imagine if you being them where you're grieving over your loved one and then, you know, you have this nurse bombarding you with questions, just trying to prove a point or trying to, trying to make a statement. It's going to be bothersome, right? You're trying to grieve over your loved one, right? Yo, That's ice good. cream truck is bumping right Yeah, now. I know, right? What a, what a timing, right? Yeah, it's like 70 degrees in California, so. Hmm. All right, good stuff. Anyways, also I want to mention, like, yeah, cluster your care, right? When, you, when like, the family comes in and they're, like, in the room and you already did the postmortem care, just... Go in there, ask them the questions. If you're going to have that form to fill out, like do, where do they want it, the body to be released to, correct? Mm -hmm. It usually goes on to the morgue to security. They, they either release it to a funeral home, they write that down, or if they don't know that information currently, give them a number to call security so then they could call and figure out the funeral home where the body is going to be released and let them like continue the grieving process. Mm -hmm. yeah. And you don't, you don't need to come in there either and just like, hey, do you need anything? If they need something, they'll come out. Make sure they have tissue. Make sure to get that like friendly cart. Sometimes that uh, the cafeteria provides the goodies tray. I would say, and just let them do their thing for a couple hours. Yeah, and it's about postmortem care. We could probably touch upon some postmortem care. Um, besides the paperwork part, it's different for per facility. So we're not gonna get into depth with that one. Like I'm not sure how they do it in, in our hospital right now, but I did it a few times uh, in my prior hospital. But the main thing as like a nurse that's gonna be universal is basically allowing time with the family and their loved one that just passed away obvious right but it's also gonna gonna compose of getting the patient washed up and especially like if you just got done with the code and then they, they pronounced it after the code that patient is gonna be be uh pretty messy right there's gonna be stuff all over all yeah, the room caps and stuff yeah. and needles right blood patient's probably gonna you might you know being poop might be soil things like that you want to clean them up especially after the code but in general you just want to get the patient cleaned up Make, make them look nice, you know, uh, wash their face, you know, close their mouth so it's not wide open. Yeah. Things like that. Put and you want to... Put some wanna, glasses on. Mm, if it has glasses, put some glasses on. If they have a rosary in the room or like a 
like just a kind of family thing that that he always had with him. You know, you put that in his hand, things like that. And you also want to give a new gown, change the linen, make it look look neat, boost them up. You're gonna to want to deline the patient. Yeah, so that that includes the ET mm-hmm. tube. If they had like central lines, take out the pick, take out the foley. If they have a suprapubic catheter, I would deflate the balloon, take that out. Just yeah. make sure the patient's like, and it's how damn that's deep, and it's like not natural prim- natural state. Yeah, yeah. The only probably iffy thing is usually a lines. Those um, if you have a patient with an a line and you're delining him, you want it, might want to do the line first because. That line for me always tends to bleed. And yeah. There's a there was a situation where I had a patient that, that passed away. You know, I I held pressure on an A line and you know I wrapped it up tightly and all that jazz you're supposed to do. And you know, three hours later, you know, I I come in and there's blood everywhere. And I'm just like, shit, dude. Like this patient, this family's grieving over here, and this guy has like a almost a giant pool of blood. You know, so then I had to clean him up and things like that. So just be careful for those A lines. Central lines don't really give me any trouble with bleeding. It's more of the, the, the arterial accesses that do it. Yeah. And the next thing you want to do is um, put the patient in an actual bag that comes with the hospital. And you want to make sure you tag them. So you get the patient identifiers. Every hospital does it differently, right? You get three, usually three tags, one on the toe, one in the bag, and like one in the zipper or whatever. And, they're, and you call security, whoever, to escort the body to where, you know designated area and then gift of hope too as well so if there were an organ donor of or if they didn't qualify as an organ donor for certain organs a lot of times they could still keep the the sclera of the eyes or even even the skin so if they have for donation the sclera of their eye you want to put like a moist piece of piece of um, gauze on their on their eyes or like some people have or some places have like just like these moist pads that they put on the eyes just so you yeah. can save it, you know, because those those are going to be up for for donation. And and if you know, let's say a patient is at the brink of death, uh, for the for the most part, I'm not sure how each hospital does it, but I'm pretty sure majority of the hospital require you to call Gift of Hope or something, or some kind of organ donation hotline. So yeah, that, know, right? that process is usually going to start when the patient's like really critical. You mm-hmm. know, sometimes if like. You got a patient on like three, four pressers. Things aren't looking good. You're already calling Gift of Hope and they're doing all that if they're a candidate. So, yeah, dep- yeah, it depends on the scenario. But def- definitely definitely, when the patient passes away, it's like usually your second time following up with Gift of Hope. I forgot what company it's here, Lifeline or someone in uh, the uh, West Coast. I'm not too sure. But every single facility is going to have its own agency to technically reach out to, right? I don't mm-hmm. know if it's government or private, who knows? Uh, I, I think it's private. private but you think so? You think ordination is private? I don't know. Gift of hope, sure. Yeah, who knows? But yeah, you're supposed to call them either way just to let them know, hey, patient, you know, this and so has has, has passed away just so they have it clear on, on their records. And dude, Gift of Hope and all these organ donation of um, agencies or whatever you want to call them, like they do a solid job. Like they imagine being a nurse that has a patient that's on, like you said, three pressers and, you know, there's really no hope and, you know, give the hope is involved. Imagine if it was your job to reach ask out to the, the family. family. Yeah, reach out to the family and ask, hey, do you think your loved one is going, would be okay to give their organs when they die? Like, dude, you know how hard that question is to ask? Hell yeah. They, dude, they probably have a really stressful job. Those nurses or people that have to ask the family the question if they want their loved one's organs to be donated. Especially, like, death is usually not talked about. So there are talking about death and organ donation right. it's like damn yeah it's like hey my loved one isn't even dead and you already asked for the organs 
that's kind of, that's kind of it sounds kind of shitty like hey does my, it sounds shady right like like my dad didn't didn't pass away and you already want his heart his his liver and his kidney like what but like unfortunately that's the only time we could ask them because if they do decide to donate these organs we have to preserve it yeah we have to preserve it so it's like a whole different process of like preservation you know so it's a whole different prep because you want to keep these organs you know well fed and with a proper blood supply and you want to get them out of the body as soon as you can into another body as soon as you can right yeah that, that actually would be very cool a podcast episode like talking about gift of hope what they do like mm-hmm. you know usually the patients they like you know extubate them and they have to wait by the or if their heart doesn't stop within 90 minutes the organs aren't considered good anymore and they just go back up to like hospice care upstairs like mm-hmm. on the floor it's like it's it's pretty damn yeah. gnarly it's intense because uh Camille, you know the guy that we had on our buddy Camille. we had about one of these episodes he actually did a few um gift of hope operations so it's pretty cool yeah. yeah i wonder how that that dynamic is that'd be pretty cool to talk about i know here at this hospital they do like a um like a special ceremony where the family lines up physicians line up and all the nursing team team lines up and they actually like not escort but they stand by the by the door and have like the patient wheel through in between them like a kind of like a ceremony wow mm-hmm. that, that's yeah that's... everyone pays like the respect like you know like this guy this patient that potentially um could could save i th- like four or five people. people. Yeah. yeah it's, it's crazy. It's, it's very hero- heroic. Yeah. And another tip I would give for like, you know, dealing with patient dying and stuff like that is this is more for yourself. Don't play the blame game. So normally after like a crazy situation, now let's just go into like the code part, right? You're usually always going to be second guessing yourself. Like what could I have done? You know, that could have been differently. Like my first time, like my patient was on a sand bed and like before the patient coded, we usually we usually turn the patient that she defecated she had a giant bm and like after the patient like coded like my the nurse is like yeah usually after like patient has a giant bowel movement like then they could code because they like lose like what is osmotic pressure or something like that and the pressure drops i was like you know it made me feel shitty like damn could this all been prevented but like there's no need for that don't play the blame game it's just like part of life part of nature that nature did its course technically is bad as it sounds and usually in these harmful situation it's our own human i don't know like behavior programming to want to second guess just accept it for what it is yeah we we drill it a bunch of times during our podcast is you can't always control the outcomes no matter how hard you try no matter what you do for the patient no matter how hard you want them to, want them to live no matter you do everything per protocol perfectly executed that patient still might might die and like Matt said you can't play the blame game it's not your fault it just the human body taking taking this course, and that's just how how things are. Some people live, some people die, some people, you know, regenerate perfectly after a code. Some people don't make it through the code. It's just just part of life. Yeah. When it's when it's time to go, it's unfortunate time to go. You call it religious, call it genetic, call it whatever you want, but you know, at at a certain point, we reach this this level where no matter what we do, we're not gonna prevent anything. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Sometimes we gotta take a loss, and that's why we say like you need those self care days. And that goes into like, might as well just get into, you know, practicing self-care. So like how to deal with the death of a patient. The first thing is like self-care. Like you need those, the time for yourself, that balance. Just like we say, find a hobby, find something that you could like de-stress on and, you know, take, you know, that energy away from like that negative environment. There's no like protocol for how to deal with a patient death. There's no book or a little hand guide. Step one, do this. Step two you know, do that. Step three, sleep. Step four, 
go talk about this with somebody. It's not, it's not like that. It's not, it's not that easy. Everyone has different emotions and different emotions come up in, in different ways, different situations. And we just have to kind of learn from our own experience. The way Matt deals with a patient dying is going to be different from the way I deal with patient dying, right? Same thing goes with the way a hospice nurse deals with patient dying compared to a new grad, right? Completely yeah. different. It's just something that, that we keep saying this, like you get desensitized to it, but that's kind of like, that's, that's like a kind of, you could say a shallow way to look at it. But for some people might think that I don't because it that's just like the, the truth for it. I'm not going to sugarcoat anything. It's just you get desensitized to it because it happens so often where you kind of already know what to do. It's almost like a robotic, but the work is robotic. The postpartum care is pretty robotic. But the thing that always changes is, is the family aspect of it. You're always going to approach a family different than the next one, right? Because some, some family members seek different things, same way you talk to the patient's sister differently compared to the way you would talk to her brother, right? I, I would also mention, because you said like robotics. So like, like, let's just say your patient just like passes away and the doctor calls the code, right? You do have that like moment of grief where everybody just, uh, everybody looks at each other in the eyes, looks around the room. We know we did a, like a fabulous job. Everybody, you know, did the hard work. Unfortunately, this is what happened. And we have that moment of grief, you know, like we, we still like, we still accept these emotions. Like we don't like just like suffocate them. Like, oh, like dying is part of the world. Let it be right. Like we still accept those emotions in that given moment. We grieve, but we put it aside because it's just, you can't do anything else with it. You could grieve forever. You just have to accept it, right? And just move on with your shift in a way. And that becomes easier, but you still are going to experience that emotion. It's up to you to choose how long you want to experience them. It's crazy for every patient that like, that has died, like not necessarily on me, but like died just like in a hospital where like I've seen pass away, right? Like I always have like this, this moment where, where it, I mean, I, well, I always get it. I don't know why it just happens where it's just like, uh, not really like, um, not really, well, I'll put it this way. So basically I get like this emotion where it's like one day this could be me, you know, not necessarily like, un, like uh, in that person's situation, but like dying, you know, right? Yeah, I always have that kind of like a, like a feeling and then um i always take a deep breath and I, while i'm doing like post-mortem care even though i'm not the most religious person i always say like like a little prayer in my head and then i like hope that the family remembers that patient for his good times not necessarily his, his bad just a little little protocol that I, that I do for myself you know and that's kind of how i always always work with it and and it's just like i, I want to say i've seen maybe like seven to like ten deaths i want to say these past like four years almost um and basically do, do that little protocol each time and yeah, it's crazy. like it's not like i don't um like it just happens subconsciously like you know i just go into like, like the those phases and it's, it's just i'm just like damn i did it again like i catch myself yeah. I'm like damn do it again that, that, that's 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 your way of kind of you know dealing with things yeah it's pretty cool well yeah but another tip that we could offer you guys for kind of dealing with with death besides like practicing self-care that's probably the most important one out of all of them but you know it's also okay to kind of feel relaxed or almost happy that that the patient has passed away because there's been too many times where we've seen patients struggling in a hospital for months at a time with we talk uh, about this a lot yeah and we we know there's really no hope but the family keeps saying keeps pushing keeps pushing keeps pushing and you know that the patient's struggling because you're doing sedation vacation you're trying to extubate them and his patient's like like hanging hanging on by a thread you know you don't want to be too aggressive because you know that the patient is, is going to die so you're you're being aggressive enough to meet the family's needs but you're not being aggressive to the point where where basically you're 
strong action, strong push, strong process is going to end up, you know, I want to say kill the patient, but push them too far, too far, you know. And we could both right now say that we know a patient right now in the ICU that like is going through something like that. Yeah. And when that patient, you know, passes away, you know, God forbid, I'm going to feel a little bit joyful in a way because Mm -hmm. that patient went through a lot of suffering, taking care of him, putting a Dubhoff in his nose, you know what I mean? Turning him and seeing him in excruciating pain. Mm -hmm. It's going to be a sense of relief to see that person in another, you know, state state of consciousness, right? Let's Mm -hmm. just say that. And the, you know, the mother beginning her grieving period because she finally made peace with like the situation, you know, because if you were look at, if you were to look at the dynamic, the patient is, you know, very sick and the mom is holding on for dear life because she's thinking there's a way for, you know, all this to go away. So yeah, it's a joyful moment because two people are going through a different part of life now. It's relaxing. Like you seeing somebody... There's a difference between seeing somebody pass away naturally with like family in agreement, being okay with the process. And then there's another thing that you get when you know the patient's family is forcing on a way too much for the patient. You kind of know that the patient would not want this. But, yeah. you know, the family has the last say and, you know, that's kind of where it's, it's going to be. Because, you, yeah, you do. Like, we don't know what, what happens after we die, right? We, we don't. We don't. Such far, a freaking mystery. Right? We don't. If if maybe there's people out there that do, that they're the one telling you, buddy, but I don't, and I'm sure as hell Matt doesn't, because if he knew, then you know, we'd be in a whole different situation. Yeah, we would tell you probably. Yeah. And then the fact of the matter is we don't know what the hell's gonna happen when we die. It it could be a, another life, a longer life. We could get reincarnated, we could go to heaven, we could just it could as far as I know, it could just be nothing. That's it. You know? Yeah. That's a pretty scary to, thing to think about. But it could be basically nothing. This is it. This is your one shot. It's one chance. But it's not the point. Like, the thing is, I'm like... I'm turn this podcast episode to what is life. Right. The thing is, like, it's okay to feel happy. Don't feel weird. Like, like don't be like, why am I happy this patient died? Because it is a natural occurrence. People are going to die. You, you can't stop that. And, like, feeling happy is, like, a normal instinct. Like, I felt happy for a few patients that, that passed away because I know that they, that they passed away already and they passed away the way they wanted to. Like, calm and peaceful without any conflict or anything like that and that's really rare to see and that's one of those things as a nurse you always want to advocate mm. sometimes you advocate for the wrong things but you accept the, you know the wishes of the patient and stuff mm. like that and you know things go on and that goes into like the next thing like remember like that these things you know happen just give your most attention to it most compassion and learn to you know compartmentalize the situation and Feel that emotion and just kind of like move on. That's like the best advice I would have for anybody out there listening. But you can't be that person that says, oh, well, if it happens, it happens. Like, you know, like you can't have that kind of a uh, uh, perspective and personality either because that's kind of a, like, uh, I don't want to say weird, but it's it's not something you should have as a, like a nurse. Like like carefree, whatever happens, happens. Death is normal. Yeah, it passed away. Who cares? Some, you're going to pass away too. Everyone's going to pass away eventually. That's kind of not the right. If you can have that perspective, that's fine. It's whatever you want to do with it, but it's not a good idea to kind of show that around the family. You could, yeah, you I, could show that around like your your coworkers and, and all that. That's fine, but 
patient care wise, like when someone's dying, you should kind of, you should for sure, not kind of, you should 100% accommodate to the patient's needs. Yeah, meet their energy. Mm, exactly. And if they're religious, you know, you don't have to be religious, but just don't laugh at whatever they, 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 they're doing. Don't make fun of them. If they're singing, you know, whatever, because they're different, different um, religious subgroups that maybe they view death as joyful, right? So they might be singing, family might, might be happy. Don't be like, oh, there's, there's a bunch of loonies singing and, and dancing over their uncle's dead body. No, it's just the way they, they express themselves during, during a, like a death of a loved one. Yeah, when I say remember that it happens, it's more about that blame game with like nurses, like that blame game that kind of takes over. I would also say that like sometimes we also like we as like nurses, because we kind of like mess around and joke around and stuff like don't forget, like if a patient passes away there, like just kind of keep it down for a little bit for an hour or two. Mm -hmm. Be respectful of it. Like, of course, you know, you're running the unit and stuff like that. I could do whatever I want, but just be respectful for that little time being so. When that family member comes around, it's like you're just meeting their energy and their atmosphere for now because that's what they need, you know? Yeah. That's what that's what they need at that moment. And also remember that you're you're making a difference. Yeah, the, the patient might have died. You know, it's it sucks. It's very sad. It's very hard. But just know that everything that, that you did during that shift or during the patient care is it doesn't go to waste just because the, the patient died. Like, this is a lot of things that we nurses do go unnoticed. But realize that, like, the energy that you provided in that room to that patient, like that's, that's being broadcasted somewhere. And eventually it's going to come back to, like, I'm not saying like karma, things like that, whatever you want to believe in, but, but yeah, like it's yeah, just because it goes, it goes unseen and unnoticed does, doesn't mean it doesn't count for anything. Right. At least if nobody sees you do a good job, like you, you as a person know you, you did a good job and you know, you cared, that should be enough to make you happy. Like, yeah, I'm that nurse. Hey, I go in there, I give them a hundred and that's all that matters, right? Yeah, because just because let's say you do something extra each time, just because you don't get noticed each time you do something extra, guess what? That that one time out of a hundred when you do get noticed, you're gonna feel a lot better. Oh yeah. Right. And especially like family might not be might not remember you during like the patient's most critical time. So they might not remember you hanging pressers, they might not remember you running around the room, but they what they will remind remember of you is you helping them through the grieving process, you taking care of their their loved one when he passed away, you being there when he literally passed away. That's what they remember you for. They're not going to remember you you doing like all this technical nursing stuff where you're calculating drips, hanging some, hanging one, discontinuing the other, giving fluids. They're not going to remember you for that because they don't know what the hell's going on. But they will remember you when you talk to them when their loved one passed away, when you say, I'm sorry for your loss, when you say, is there anything I can help you with? Why? Because they can relate to you in that kind of level. They can't relate to you when you're hanging drips. It's, it's just like the patient that you just like ran around call the doctor for, like, you caught an error that could have potentially, like, you know, caused some harm to them, yet you forgot to bring them their tea, and they're freaking kind of shitting on you for that, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That's the stuff that gets unnoticed, but just know that you're amplifying this goodness into the world, and it'll, it'll come back in one form or the other if you believe in that. I really do believe whatever you put out to the universe, you kind of get it back. That's just kind of how, like, the law of attraction works, right, mm -hmm. we just talked about. Yeah. And a fifth tip for you guys, uh, another good one, probably second self-care, but also goes along with self-care is to is talk about it. Like if if your first death, if your first patient death was detrimental to you, like the best thing you could do is use your nurses, use your coworkers to talk about it because they've been in your shoes more times than you, especially if you're a new grad and your first time experience of death. Well, guess what? If you experience death for the first time, you know, let's say one month into being a nurse, imagine how many times the other nurses around you have experienced it. Right. And uh, you guys for sure had the same emotion because nurses, we all have similarities. Right. Yeah. And we all are similar on some type of level and we don't shut down anyone's emotion. You know, if a nurse came up to you that's having a hard time 
processing the death of the patient, even though it might be easy, easier for you and you kind of know how to do it personally, you're not going to give shitty advice. You're going to try to be there as much as you can to help the nurse because you understand when your patient died, you understand how we're not very emotional people. I mean, we're, we're dudes. We're not the most emotional guys in, yeah. in the world. Even though but, most of our listeners are females. So we're, yeah. maybe this is our struggle instead, right? Yeah, but like you could, but you could understand why this this nurse is emotional right of like course. just because you didn't feel his emotions you understand because we're pretty in, like intellectual and pretty yeah, we're, we're, we're empath- empathetic empathetic you know, we're or, able to feel too. right and our people people like with people 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 person people persons that makes sense or people peoples i don't know which way you would, <laughs> you would say that sounds good either way man right but like just because you don't experience those emotions you know you kind of have an idea how those emotions would, would, would feel, right? So you're able to give advice. You're able to be empathetic to that nurse that's coming to you for advice from a dying patient. You know, you don't just close her off and say, well, you know, I've seen four deaths and I got through through a fine. You'll be okay tomorrow. Like, you, don't, you wouldn't say that, right? You would say you offer some advice relating to her emotional issues, right? Yeah, that, that's like the worst thing that people hate is also like you telling somebody and instead of them acknowledging your feelings and maybe saying something, they're just like, well, they're try, they, try, they try to fix you right away. Mm-hmm. That's not, you know good either and that's what's so cool about having coworkers is they understand your kind of vibe for the travel nurses out there let's just say you're kind of lone wolfing it on the unit just call one of your nurse friends or somebody that you could talk to you know on that kind of emotion level to just kind of vent a little bit mm-hmm. just so they could hear you out because i know sometimes with travel nursing you tend to kind of be you know lonely for some time and if you guys feel lonely or, or whatever or don't feel like you have anyone talk to our work or are kind of shy to open up like in person, like you could shoot us a message or whatever. I mean, we'll try to get back to as soon as, as, soon as we can, you know, yeah, but we're we not the best get, at it sometimes. Yeah. We do get busy sometimes, but, but yeah, but if you need somewhere to get like, your feelings out about a patient dying or anything, or anything at work, like, like I said, shoot us a message and we'll try to help you through it, things like that, because it's a lot harder to kind of look a corking in the eyes for like the first time, especially if a, as a travel nurse and say, Hey, um, I feel really sad about my patient dying. Like, right. can we talk? Like, that's like very personal, right? Compared to like sending a text message to your friend, like, hey, I had a patient die. I feel like shit. You know, that's a lot easier to do because you're not there one-on-one physically with, with somebody. Exactly. It's easier to send over a message, you know. Exactly, okay. man. I think this is a great wrap-up. Mm-hmm. Thank you for tuning in. Give you a great spiel about how to deal with death and dying of a patient. We actually give you five tips on how to work your way through a patient death or a dying process. We offered you a little bit of insight on postmortem care. And practicing silence and stop blaming yourself as a way to help you co- cope with that. Take care, guys. Peace, guys. Next week. <laughs>